Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hey friends, welcome again to Engage 360 from Denver Seminary. We're glad you've chosen to spend some time with us. My name is Don Payne, I'm your host. And before we get into our conversation, our interview for this week, let me remind you that we have full-length transcripts available for all of our episodes. They're on the seminary website. If you want to consult any of those, simply go to denverseminary.edu. You'll see the Engage 360 podcast logo fairly prominent there. You can see all of our episodes, and there will be a little download icon there if you'd like to download the transcript. Now, you may have heard it said that those who pay no attention to history are doomed to repeat it. And I wonder whether it might also be the case that those who pay no attention to the rest of the world are doomed to be just like it. Uh, That's my own theory, but um, that will lead us into today's conversation because during times of distress and upheaval, whether that's on an individual level or on a national level, we all face the temptation to be so consumed with the troubles that are right in our faces and then to isolate ourselves from resources in other places that might have something to teach us about what we're navigating. Uh, Now, if you supplement that with the tendency to have a highly independent mindset and a national self-image of kind of being the guide for the rest of the world, it can really become difficult to learn what we most need to learn. And that's one of the reasons I love to interact with people who have lots of international experience. And, and I don't simply mean people who've traveled a lot internationally uh, or people who have done a lot of short-term work. I mean, there's, there's always something to learn from everybody. But I have in mind particularly those who have spent extended periods of time living and working in other cultures. They, they learn things that the rest of us need to learn. So I'm really excited to welcome to Engage 360 this week uh, one of our students in our Doctor of Ministry program, John Allen. And I'll introduce John to you a little bit more in just a moment, and he can supplement that. Welcome, John. Thank you, Dr. Payne, for having me here. Yeah, John is coming to us from Maryland, from the Washington, D.C. area, lives in Maryland, and so we're grateful he's been able to carve out some time by phone and, and visit with us. So, John, a little bit of John's backstory that I got to know a couple of years ago, or maybe a year and a half-ish ago when I met John in a class. A fascinating story. John spent a career with the United States Marine Corps and retired from the Marine Corps. We're grateful for his service there. And has since then been seconded by the Marine Corps Uh, to, I guess, the Department of State and oversees security currently for the Peace Corps in, I think, the entire continent of Africa. Is is that correct, John? Global now. Oh, global. Uh, Global. Okay. So he is the security dude for the Peace Corps internationally. Uh, I think when you were living in South Africa, uh, you were in charge of security for the Peace Corps in southern, in the southern Afri- eight, eight or so African countries, right? That is correct. Uh, and alongside that, or concurrent with his involvement uh, in overseeing security for the Peace Corps, he and his wife planted a church and pastored that church in South Africa for some years. So he's got this rich and multidimensional international experience that uh, we really want to draw on for some of the things that we're 
uh, we're facing today. John, um, fill in the blanks there if you'd like to, if there's any anything more to uh, help us understand what your career entailed and continues to entail. Okay. Well, again, Dr. Payne, thank you for having me. I will start by just saying I lived uh, in Southern Africa for about 18 years where I along with uh, my wife, founded what came to be known as the International uh, Community Christian Church of South Africa. However, that wasn't, uh, as you mentioned, my initial reason for my relocation. I uh, actually went there on a military assignment when I was on active duty in the Marine Corps. Uh, I was seconded uh, to the State Department at the U.S. Embassy in Pretoria to help oversee the Marine Security Guard program. And, uh, while there, we started a couple's Bible study that met in our home and others that over time involved, uh, actually involved into a church fellowship. I had been involved in ministry in the U.S. from a young age. And, uh, and however, I've, I've always been bivocational. And after just a few years, I retired uh, from the Marine Corps. But I was able to pursue other job opportunities that uh, kept me on the continent. I was uh, extremely fortunate to transition from the Marine to uh, work with a, with a fine, fantastic organization that trains and uh, deploys American volunteers to serve and help build capacity in developing and under-resourced uh, countries around the world. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, actually view uh, both uh, as ministry, both my work with the Peace Corps and uh, my church exposed me to cross-cultural dynamics that have broadened my perspective to help form my worldview and my approach to practical theology. When when exactly did you first begin your service in the African continent? I first started in 1999. Uh, and then moved back here to the U.S., what, two or three years ago? I sure did, in 2017. 2017, okay, okay. So you, you were serving in South Africa, located in South Africa, not that many years after uh, the collapse of apartheid, correct? That That's correct. Uh, that, that, that is- I'm curious, what was it like pastoring in South Africa in those years, in the, in the immediate aftermath of apartheid? Okay, it, it was uh, it, it was an interesting time to be in South Africa uh, post-apartheid, uh, and and you can only imagine uh, some of the issues that, that one would have to, to deal with involving uh, race and, and, and things of that sort. What did, what did you learn from that experience? Uh, what, what, is, what was there in, in, that, in that experience for you and in those years that might shed some kind of light on what, the kinds of things we're struggling with in the U.S. today? I, I would say that uh, one of the things that I probably observed probably more so than anything is that uh, Africans have the ability uh, to, in, in a sense, have the hard conversations. Uh, and oftentimes uh, in our culture in America, uh, we're, we're somewhat hesitant uh, about uh, having those uh, particular uh, conversations. Uh, they they uh, don't avoid uh, kind of taking those issues head on, uh, following my time, I would say, uh, following apartheid in South Africa, the South Africa government did something that was uh, so amazing under the leadership 
uh, uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu to lead what they call a truth and reconciliation uh, committee. Right. What was the rollout of that? I mean, you were living in the, again, the aftermath of that. Uh, How did you see that take shape or or impact cultural relations overall? I would say that overall you could sense that the country was going through some some uh, transition, uh, uh, dealing with forgiveness and and people, in a sense, having the wherewithal to to move on. Um, it was uh, a very interesting time uh, to be in South Africa. You could see. Uh, many individuals at, especially at the grassroots level, uh, still just sort of trying to put their mind and their around the idea and the concept of forgiveness and moving on. Yeah. You know, uh, Desmond Tutu's uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission has received quite a bit of press around the world. And it raises the question of what, you know, what does that look like here? What does that look like for us? And I'm sure, well, I'm going to guess anyway, that that was not like a light switch. You know, somebody flipped and then all of a sudden it just happened. No doubt that was uh, just a real difficult process. But I'm really curious what what kind of traction points or handholds or, or progress indicators they saw in in really moving forward with reconciliation. One of the things that stands out for me would have to be, uh, I would start with leadership. Uh, uh, President Nelson Mandela, and you've probably read his book, The Long Walk to Freedom. Uh, he described how uh, before taking on and running as the president of this newly formed democracy, that it would be in the country's best interest uh, to somehow uh, address this open wound. And it was, in a sense, an acknowledgement that there's been years, uh, decades of uh, inequality, uh, uh, inequity. It's been decades of disparity. And, I mean, he really pushed that to the forefront Mm -hmm. and said, I'm going to lead it in a way where I'm willing to to forgive. I'm going to lead this process in a way where I'm going to... uh, Pull both sides together as, as I the best I possibly can, and informing that uh, truth and reconciliation committee or group, it, it allowed uh, people to to come forward with their stories, uh, to share their hurt and their years of pain, um, and uh, it 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 was uh, an opportunity for the entire nation to sort of empathize hmm. with uh, what was created, uh, the damage that it had done, and uh, to, in a sense, uh, have a willingness to say, you know, uh, uh, we, we, can, we, can, we can come together and we can get beyond that. And so I would say, similarly, uh, life in America can be very different for, for blacks and whites, uh, we need to do more and have more of the willingness uh, to to uh, empathize and, and see life uh, from another's perspective. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate that. Uh, now, you left. Uh, were you in Pretoria? 
I sure was. I was okay. in Pretoria. Okay, and you left there in 2017, lived in, in Pretoria till 2017? That is correct. How would you compare the situation when you left to what it was when you went there? <laughs> you know, I saw great strides. I, I can remember uh, the, the, the freedom and the liberty and the uh, sort of the, the, the vibrancy of, of uh, the culture. Uh, the liveliness uh, uh, mm. among parishioners, I, I, I could see them progressing. I could see the doors of education op- opportunities opening up for uh, people who uh, were deprived of, uh, of that, those opportunities. I could see jobs being created and, and people who uh, were disenfranchised having an opportunity to to work at places they hadn't worked been able to work before yeah. and so I just saw a tremendous uh, uh, transition uh, of course there's some you know resistance that you you, you uh, observe as well but but for the most part it was overall improvement yeah that's really encouraging and very hopeful especially you know, these days when I think lots of people are sense, are sensing, maybe paralyzed by a sense of hopelessness, just don't know where to go with all this and don't see any options. So that's a great case study. Mm-hmm. Now, now the congregation that you and your wife launched and pastored, I know International was in the title of it. Does that suggest that it was largely a, a congregation of expats from other countries or more in, indigenous from South Africans? Yes, it, I, I would say that uh, it started out as uh, an American uh, church uh, of expats, <laughs> but uh, given our location uh, not far uh, from other embassies and and uh, 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 housing uh, uh, townships, uh, it soon it soon grew uh, to be uh, truly international with over twenty. Uh, ethnic groups and, and, and nations being represented. Hmm. What, was there a, any kind of interface between the congregation, that the really international complexion of that congregation, and what was going on in the country as a whole? Yes, I, I think so. I mean, South Africa is the economic hub of that whole continent. It's, it's marketed itself to be that, yeah. and I could see firsthand of uh, immigrants and uh, refugees coming from from all over the continent uh, for better opportunities in, in South Africa. So uh, it's a uh, sort of a melting pot. It's uh, even known as the Rainbow Nation. Hmm. And uh, they pride themselves uh, of having so many, so many ethnic groups. I think there's a le- over uh, at least 11 official tribes in the country. Okay. Uh, and that comes with both positive and negative responses to immigration as well. Yeah. Let's kind of push this out a bit more broadly to the African continent in your work with the Peace Corps across other African countries. Well, and you used the word tribal. And briefly, my wife and I were in Kenya about seven or eight years ago. I was teaching a doctoral course there in Nairobi. And in this course were pastors and denominational executives from a variety of denominations and from a probably about eight different African countries, more in the northern part of the continent. And it was really interesting to me, it's fascinating, to hear these uh, various African um, pastors and 
and denominational leaders reflect on the ministry struggles in their countries, which culturally were, were very different, but at the same time shared, uh, many of them shared a sort of tribal uh, underlayer to their cultures. And one of, the, one of the things they had in common, one of the challenges they all shared was that as the gospel came into the lives of people in their countries, it was embraced, but it had not yet uh, sort of penetrated into the depths of their value system, which was, uh, which was shaped more by their tribal loyalties. And they, they were facing a really intense, disciple, what they called a discipleship challenge, trying to get the, the gospel into the deepest value system of people in their churches. So that when um, various things political came up that were tribally related, they didn't just start killing each other. And that, that was very bracing and very surprising for me as, as an American. But that, that makes me wonder and, and want to ask you, what did you observe across the African continent that has informed your understanding of of justice issues, of discipleship, of uh, maybe that might parallel any of our current struggles here in the U.S. I know that's a multi-part question, but <laughs> love to hear your thoughts on any of that. Well, you know, you, you raise uh, uh, challenges that that you have heard from, or I should say, tribal differences that that uh, have been shared by other pastors uh, working and serving throughout the continent. And I can say I I experienced the same. Uh, I can recall uh, in our particular de- denomination uh, the number of, of tribes that are that are represented and and that was new for me uh, yeah. I didn't know that uh, you know that uh, you know the Hutus and the Tutsis uh, from Rwanda who had uh, migrated to South Africa uh, Following the genocide in Rwanda, were part of my congregation, and my. and understanding a little bit more about the history of of uh, the genocide that took place there, uh, I can remember uh, other uh, situations involving uh, tribes within South Africa, and uh, the differences uh, between uh, conflicts that had taken place in Southern Africa between Angola and South Africa. Uh, and, and other places um, in the Congo. So it, it was uh, it was an eye opener for me. Uh, it was uh, a reminder as well that that humans are humans, um, and they have the in a sense the the same issues. You know, we were always trying to find the right balance between that cultural and, and spiritual teachings and beliefs. To maintain awareness and discernment uh, regarding, you know, how uh, you should treat each other and how you should love each other for the higher good of accomplishing uh, what you want to accomplish as God's creatures. You want to be a proponent of good governance. Uh, You want to be involved in a sense where you are attacking or addressing uh, economic uh, disparities. You are uh, always aware of the housing uh, uh, inequalities that might exist in those urban hubs. And so ministry uh, in and of itself in, in operating in that area and realizing the differences and the sort of mobility of people who have come to that space, it, 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 it takes uh, a lot of prayer, <laughs> uh, but, 
but uh, we saw great success with this um, in our church because our members had close relationships with one another, and mm-hmm. that was sort of one of those things that we kept driving home, is that we are sisters and brothers in the Lord, and uh, if we've got close relationships, it, it'll help you uh, go above and beyond some of those uh, uh, internal uh, conflicts or, or issues of the past. Well, yeah, that's a good reminder that the, in, in any culture, the church is called in some respects to be a pace setter for what it, what makes unity and justice and peaceful cultures possible. Because in, in any culture, we can always say, oh, we've got to come together. We've got to work together. We've got to change things. But people often get stuck right there when it comes to, well, how do we do that? And of, of all people, wouldn't, wouldn't we think that the church should be able to set the pace for that and embody some of that because of the power of the gospel? But that's, you know, that's often a, a struggle for the church, isn't it, in any, any culture? It sure is. I mean, uh, and, and sometimes it, it starts from uh, not being so insular, uh, you know, that you are, are willing to uh, know um, the real story of, of uh, those who have struggled, those who are uh, going through pain. It takes leaving your comfort zone, um, you know, uh, singing in a different language, yeah. uh, being open to, to another person's prayer, and you don't understand the words in their language. I mean, it, it, it can take on a wide variety of uh, kind of stepping across the aisle. Yeah, and yeah. Get, so, John, from all of your experience uh, as a pastor, uh, working in at the civic level with the the Peace Corps and security there, all these different countries, what are you, what are you taking away from all of that that you think most Americans need to hear right now, positively or negatively? What what, what learning should we extract from what goes on around the world? I, I would say my sort of takeaway is that it gave me a, a sort of a broader uh, world view uh, that is inclusive of all people, uh, that uh, values them rather than simply tolerate, uh, you know, differences. Hmm. It uh, gave me an opportunity to show, and I should say that I have an appreciation for how folks would express their faith. Hmm. and how they live out their culture, how they embrace gender norms and family roles and responsibilities. You know, there's a, uh, in a sense, a scripture uh, that passage that comes to mind in 1 Corinthians when Paul is talking about the different kinds of gifts uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Yeah. He, said, he says there are different uh, kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different uh, kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but the same God uh, who works all uh, of them in all men. And now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to the common good. And so I think uh, that is a kind of a reminder that God gives us His Spirit, you know, for the common good. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm smiling while you read that text, John, because that is such a a familiar text to so many Christians. And at the same time, it has layers of implications or 
uh, maybe concentric circles of implications that are quite staggering when you when you roll it out to uh, some of the experiences that you've had and the cultural differences that you've experienced. I love that phrase you used that we you learn to value those differences, not merely tolerate them. That 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 alone may be the prophetic word of the day, brother. <laughs> Learning to value those differences in people, not merely tolerate them. Uh, man, if we get that down, we're, we're going to get some real handholds. How overall did your years of service in Africa, in all of your roles, affect or or deepen your understanding of the gospel and what the gospel mean, what it means for the gospel to be the like the animating core of your ministry? Wow. Uh, <laughs> you know, I would say that after uh, having so many years to be significantly sort of integrated uh, into a cross-cultural experience uh, for so many years, I, I, I can say that my understanding of the gospel is sort of securely underpinned by a greater um, an appreciation <laughs> of thanksgiving. Uh, gratitude for things often uh, that are taken for granted. It's given me sort of an appreciation of uh, not only gratefulness but and thanksgiving, but but also joy. And and when situations are less than ideal, because I saw quite a bit of that, and it gives uh, I think it's uh, sort of underpinned my understanding of hope and expectation. You know, of a faithful God to deliver every single time on his promises. And I, I would say the importance uh, of redemption, I mean, has, has uh, sort of crystallized my understanding of, of the gospel, the importance of redemption and restoration uh, for all, <laughs> for all. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. church has living, breathing altar, you know, wherever believers assemble themselves. Wow. John, um we are so grateful for your service, and it's it's great to know that your work there, even though you're located in the U.S. now, your work continues overseeing security globally for the Peace Corps. That that is a that is a far-reaching impact, my friend. And we're we're so privileged to know you and to be some little part of your journey. Um, and tell us, tell listeners how they can pray for you in your ongoing service. Well, I, I would say that uh, I need your prayers. <laughs> I uh, need uh, prayer for uh, just uh, endurance, you know, being able to uh, endure and, and maintain a, a level of focus uh, as we uh, oversee the continuous work of uh, the Church in South Africa, and even uh, a church that we oversee the work in uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. If you could just ask uh, God to continually to continue to give me guidance and uh, and wisdom and how to uh, assist those congregations to be all that God has called them to be. Mm. Uh, I would say, uh, you know, to pray that that I would be. Uh, a faithful servant in what God has called me to do also in the public sector. Uh, it's an enormous task uh, with great challenges, uh, but uh, a fantastic organization that's doing good all around the world and helping those who are underprivileged, helping those who are under source, uh, 
And I would say last but not least, I have just a couple of more years left uh, with this agency before I hope to retire. <laughs> but I would retire again. Before, retire again. Yeah. I, I would pray, uh, you know, as a for me as a bivocational uh, pastor and leader uh, in the church. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask all of our listeners when they hear that to pray for you in just those ways. John, thanks for your your service there in so many different ways, and we're, as I said, we're really excited to uh, to to know you and have uh, a little role in your life uh, in our Doctor of Ministry program, and look forward to seeing you again next time you're here in Denver. This has been uh, Engage Three Hundred and Sixty. We've been talking to John Allen, and hope that you have learned something today that's going to be. Uh, not only provocative for your thinking, but maybe hopeful for your action in working toward uh, reconciliation, working as an agent and instrument of the gospel in uh, your circle of influence uh, and, uh, in, and in whatever capacity to be a, a steward of that for the national good, for the global good, as we all want to see uh, there's real healing take place around the globe and here in our own in our own country, in the U.S. and in our own neighborhoods. John, thanks. Thanks for spending thank, time with us. And thank you, Dr. Payne, for having me. It has been a privilege. Thank you all for listening, for taking some time to um, join in this conversation. We are grateful for you, grateful for whatever your role is with us at Denver Seminary, whether you're a, an alumnus, um, alumnae, whether you are a donor, board member, current student, whoever you are, thanks. We're grateful for your participation with us. If you have any feedback for us, feel free, please, to email us. Podcast at denverseminary.edu is our email address, and we will look forward to interacting with you again next week. Take care.